Well, good morning, church family. I hope you were encouraged. I sure was to see again our uh, missionary family all over the world. And uh, as I saw them, can I just give you thanks for being a wonderful, generous church? Because through all of the challenges of this pandemic, we've been able to, um, through your generosity, through God touching your heart, continue the ministry here in our church and our community and around the world that um, God has given us to support. But thank you for your generosity to make that happen. The other thing I want to say, and a special welcome to our family online. I want to look you in the eyes and say, I'm looking to, forward to see you in person. No guilt, no shame, but these are encouraging days. We're getting over the pandemic, and God willing, more soon than later. But every week, it's a blessing to me to see uh, folks that, um, as God regathers our church in bodily form, it's a reminder that we're meant to be together as family. Uh, we're never designed to be a virtual church, although we're grateful to be online and we'll continue to be online. But as the Lord leads you and you feel comfortable and... Um, we get over the effects of this uh, terrible pandemic. Um, God is going to regather us, and that's a beautiful thing. Well, I love the story of a young girl named Martha Taft. She was uh, in elementary school, might have been nine or ten years old, and she was asked to introduce herself. And I love the way she had a sense of her own identity. Listen to her words as this elementary school girl introduces herself. She says this, my name is Martha Bowers Taft. My great-grandfather was President of the United States. My grandfather was a United States Senator. My daddy is Ambassador to Ireland. And I, I am a brownie. <laughs> Don't you love that? Young girl who had a strong sense of her own identity. And you know what? If we know who we really are, well, if we really know who we are, as followers of Christ, it will change our lives. So I'm here to ask you this morning, do you know who you are? Do you know your true identity? When we come to the book of Revelation, and for friends meeting with us this morning, we are right smack dab in the middle of this amazing book of, of Revelation. But what Revelation does, it's first and foremost, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the opening of the windows of heaven. It's the opening of the doors of heaven and the unveiling. That's what apocalypse means, the revelation of who Jesus is. But when we see who Jesus truly is, guess what? We also discover who we truly are, our identity. And so uh, I want us to uh, continue on that journey this morning. We're going to look at a passage. We're going to dive back into Revelation chapter 5 where we have this amazing revelation, this amazing unveiling of, of who Jesus is. And we've looked at that in previous weeks. But uh, this morning I want us to see, once we see who Jesus is, to come back to say, but who are you? And who am I? In, in our true identity, and we could say our heavenly identity. And so let's read together, though, as the words come up on the screen, or you can pull it up on your phone. And... Um, uh, read together Revelation chapter 5. We're going to jump right in the middle of the first part of the vision. John, the windows of heaven are open, and he sees the glorious throne of heaven, the command center of the universe, and someone sitting on the throne. But then he gets the second part of this vision in chapter 5, and he says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Well, we understand that scroll represents... God's redemptive purpose in the world, it, 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 it represents um, 
His coming with judgment to destroy the evil of the universe, to destroy the wickedness, to destroy death, and to create a new creation, to make all things new, to bring judgment, but also to bring a new creation and wholeness and newness. And the scroll represents that. And the question is, who's worthy of opening the scroll? He sees in the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals, perfect seals. You're not able to open it. I'm not able to open it. No one in heaven is able to open it. And I saw a powerful angel, a mighty angel, proclaiming in a loud voice the question, who is worthy to break the seals? Who is worthy to bring judgment in God's new creation and open the scroll? But catch this. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. What a tragedy. What a terrible thing. There's no one capable, no one qualified. So what does John do? I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open or look at the scroll inside. Friends at New Hope Kailua, our, 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 our future is disastrous. Our destiny is disastrous. Wickedness, sin, death, hell, that's our destiny. No one can fix it. We live in a broken universe. It's it's infected with all of this evil and wickedness, and, well, we may as well just go home and cry. We're done. There's no hope. And so John weeps. Oh, don't end in verse 4. The story doesn't end there, right? Verse 5. If it was only verse 4, if no one was worthy, we're lost. We have no hope. We have a destiny of destruction, a destiny of disaster. Who can fix things like disease and, and death and wickedness and, and pandemics and, and cancer and, and all of the terrible things that our world is infected with? Well, there is someone. One of the elders who we've seen is uh, part of this angelic, exalted angelic realm in heaven said to me, do not weep, John. See, there's a lion. What? A lion in heaven of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, someone who rules with power, a lion. He's triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There is a worthy, and he's powerful. He's like a lion. But then he looks again, and the lion is also a, a lamb. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, the command center of the universe. Encircled by the four living creatures, this exalted angelic realm, and the elders, the lamb had what? Seven horns. Have you ever seen a lamb with seven horns? No. Seven perfect horns power. He's saying he has perfect power, absolute power. And uh, he has seven horns and seven eyes. Again, perfect Vision, perfect sight, omniscience, all-knowing. He sees everything, which are the sevenfold, seven spirits of God, better interpreted, sevenfold, one spirit. But the Holy Spirit, in the fullness of his ministry, in the perfection of his ministry, sent out into all the earth. He went, the Lamb, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a sharp had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, including some of the prayers that we prayed this morning. They're valuable, and they're being offered to God in, in, in heaven. But catch this. They sang a new song. 
and they recognize the worthiness of Jesus Christ to judge and to rule. You are worthy to the Lamb to take the scroll, to open its seal, to bring to earth God's judgment and his new creation because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. One of the things I love about Hawaii is you can see that in a room. You can see all, every nation virtually of the world represented right here in our islands and right here in our church family. This multi-global, multi-ethnic, multilingual family of God born, uh, bought by the blood of Jesus. But catch this. You have made them. Please, we're going to focus on verse 10. You glorified, worthy Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, you have made us, you have made them to be two things. A kingdom. And a kingdom who reigns, he says, they will reign on earth. We talked about that last week. And by the way, can I just interrupt and say this? I was talking with a kaika earlier, and for our generation, Get some phone apps. <laughs> I was, I'm sort of on the slow comer on the tech, and a bunch of you guys are way ahead of me. Kids and young people, they get all these phone apps. I'm saying, another phone app? These phone apps are beautiful. Kaika was telling me last Sunday he had to be at a different place. He's watching the service on his phone because he had the phone app. That's awesome. You know what I do? I'm watching The Chosen. I trumpeted the value of this TV series. I'm on the treadmill, at, and I can watch it on my phone because I got a phone app. Oh, get a phone app or two. Certainly get the church phone app. Anyway. Uh, time out from commercial endorsements. Uh, here's the point. If you missed last week, we spent the whole time looking at what does it mean to be a kingdom and, and those who reign with Christ. And we saw it means being a loved child of the king because you're a citizen of his kingdom, but you're far more than a citizen. You're a son. You're a daughter. Citizens of kingdoms don't reign. They're not part of the royal family. They've got a place, and that's enough of a blessing. They've got a residence. They've got a legal status in the country. But you and I have far more than that. We will reign with Christ because we're royal family. We're sons. We're daughters. We're princesses. We're princesses. I'm going to make up a name for myself sometime. The Duke of something or other. I'll just... But we're royalty. Okay, that was the first thing. But the second thing I want to focus on this morning priests to serve our God. You have made them a kingdom who will reign with Christ, but priests to serve our God. Now, before we get that, and again, we spent a good amount of time the last couple of weeks looking at why is Jesus worthy? And I would encourage you, you can, you can get a phone on your app, you can look at last week, because I'm just going to summarize. Why is Jesus worthy? Because he is the spotless lamb. He is the sinless lamb. He is worthy of judging. He's the, he's the loving lamb. He sacrificed his own life. He shed his blood out of a heart of love to redeem you and me, to make us his people. He, he desires every person on the planet to be saved. He's the loving lamb. He's the spotless lamb. He's the all-knowing lamb. We've seen he has perfect knowledge. That qualifies him to judge. No judge on earth has perfect knowledge. He has absolute knowledge of everything, and he showed it when he was on this planet in his first coming. He has absolute power, perfect power, seven horns, and Jesus showed absolute power in his first coming. He, he is absolutely qualified to judge, and yes, he is the just lamb. Because as you read through the book of Revelation, as he brings judgment to the earth, everyone is crying out, your judgments are just, you do the right thing, your judgments are... He's just, in all of these ways, Jesus is absolutely worthy to judge and to rule over the new creation. Thank God we've got a Savior. 
Thank God we don't need to weep with John because there is someone who's going to fix a broken universe, who's already fixing our lives, who's got a, a room for us in the new creation, and he's going to give us resurrection bodies, and we will reign with him. I have no uh, fathoming of the glory of all of that means, but we are his loved children. That's who he is. He is the worthy judge and the king of the world. Who we are, well, we already saw last week. A loved child of King Jesus. But this is one I want to focus on this morning. Help us all see our true identity, our heavenly identity in our relationship with Christ because he's redeemed us because we belong to him. And it's simply this, a servant priest of King Jesus. Did you realize that you are a servant priest of King Jesus? Now, I, I would bet, I'm not a betting man, I would bet you've never thought of yourself as a priest. When you think of priest, what comes into mind? I don't kind of identify with a priest. You want to know what a priest looks like? Take a look at this picture. It's just one example of what a priest looks like. Have you ever worn clothes like that? I'm thinking I've got to upgrade my wardrobe. Actually, I prefer an Aloha shirt. But, I mean, what a hat. Wouldn't it be cool if Pastor Rick shows up with a hat like that? That's kind of one example of a priest. Uh, a little bit closer up, um, that's what a priest looks like. Um, you have never worn clothes like that. You probably never saw, if you were raised in, the, in a Catholic uh, church or an Anglican church, you may have a vision of a priest, but it's certainly not you. This is the collar of a priest. And I was reminded this last week of a, a dear friend of mine. He's actually, his day job is as a seminary professor. And he didn't come from an Anglican background, but he, uh, he got ordained in the Anglican church. He's ordained in the Anglican church now. And, and he was telling me that... Um, he doesn't often wear a collar, which is sort of the sign of a priest, but he says, I do wear a collar when I go through the airport. <laughs> what a trick, eh? He wears it because he, he finds he gets through airports a little bit easier with the, the cloth of a clergy. So I'm going to get me one. I'm going to try that one out too. You can get one. The Bible says you are a servant priest. Now here's the thing. When we come to uh, the New Testament teaching, we're all priests. There isn't an order of priests. In Israel's covenant, there was an order of priests. There was Aaron and a priesthood. But in our, uh, we don't have an office or a title of priest. Denominations may choose to use that term. But when we read the New Testament, all of us are priests. And this passage says, you are a servant priest of Jesus. And so even though we don't have an office, and even though we don't identify with the clothing, you are called to be a priest in your service. Did you see what it says? And it says, priest to serve our God. So the question is, what does priestly service look like? What does it mean? What does it look like to serve as a priest? What does a priest actually do? And the scriptures tell us that, and it has its application for us as New Testament priests. And by the way, I didn't mention the verse there, but um, Peter picks up this same idea. He says it's there in your notes, 1 Peter 2.9. And did you know that if you have the app, <laughs> you get the notes on your phone? Get an app. All right. Um, it says this. But you, you church family at New Hope Kailua, you are a chosen people. Well, that's a good name for a TV series. But you're a royal priesthood. He says that they're both there. You're a royal. You're part of the royal family. You're part of you're, you're the king's sons and daughters. You're, you're part of royalty in God's family. You're not just a citizen. And you're priests. You're a priesthood. 
You have a priestly service, even though you don't have an office or a title or don't need the clothes, you have a priestly service. So that's what I wanted to look at this morning. What does it mean? What does it look like? How do you serve as a priest? That's your identity. When you know your identity, it will change your life. And we're all in the process of our lives being changed. But when you know your identity as a servant priest of the risen, glorified King of Heaven, the Lamb who is worthy, it'll change your life. So let's look together at five different ways in which priests serve that you and I are called to serve. And if we understand, if we lay hold of our identity as a servant priest, it'll change our lives in all of these ways and more. Number one, what do priests do? They offer gifts to the Lord Jesus. They offer gifts. In Israel's covenant, people would bring gifts to the tabernacle, later to the temple, and the priests would offer those gifts to the Lord. What kind of gifts? Well, they would bring for the whole burnt offering. They could bring a bull, or they could bring a sheep, or uh, they could bring a bird if they were poor. Um, if, uh, if it was a... Um, peace offering, they would bring a calf, and they would actually, the priests would, would uh, slaughter the calf, barbecue the calf, and you would have a, a barbecue with God. Now, i got to tell you, New Hope Kailua, I was really disappointed this morning when I pulled up. There were no calves, there were no animals, no one's making a barbecue, there were no animal sacrifices, and because you're not operating as priests. Well, you're saying, but Pastor Rick, that was old. Yeah, absolutely. The point is, all of those things pointed to Jesus. That's why we don't do them anymore. As much as I'd like to have a steak barbecue after dinner and a peace offering with God. But you know what? Jesus fulfilled all of those offerings. One perfect sacrifice for all time. The sin offering, the whole burnt offering, the grain offering, the uh, day of atonement. Everything was fulfilled in Jesus. So we don't offer animal sacrifices. But you know, part of Israel's worship was... Whenever they came into the presence of God, they always brought a gift. And um, we, are, too, are called to that priestly, sacri that priestly offerings of offering. Well, what kind of offerings do we give? If we don't give animal sacrifices, those are fulfilled in Christ. Well, the scriptures speak of two. One is we bring an offering of song. We offer sacrifices of praise, if you will. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. He says... Let us continually, not just Sunday morning for 15 or 20 minutes, let us continually offer to God, offer to God a gift, what? A sacrifice of praise, of singing, of declaring his excellencies, of, of, um, of, of celebrating his goodness, all of those things. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. We bring singing offerings. That's one of the offerings we bring. That's what priests do. They give offerings to God. And um, can I just say to you, this, this last week, uh, this morning I woke up and um, I had a song in my heart. I just woke up and I was singing. And it's one of the songs that our worship leaders sing, sing to. They lead us in singing. And uh, their ministry to us is to fill our hearts and fill our lives with singing to God. And so, yeah, we're blessed to come as a church family and sing together, but those sings resonate throughout the week. And i got to tell you this. I know I'm going to embarrass Sina, but this is a week and a half ago. I'm watching on my app. Did I tell you I have an app? <laughs> I'm watching our service on our app. I often, to be, tell you the truth, I'm part of the service Sunday morning, so I don't go home and watch it again. Um, but I was watching our service on my app. <laughs> wow, Sina has 
a beautiful voice. Now, you probably know that, and I'm a little bit, but I was amazed at what a beautiful voice Cena had, and I thought, Rick, I know you're thick, but why didn't you notice this before? It's actually, I think, a pretty good thing. Uh, I'm not that dull, but you see, what the worship team does is they lead us in singing to Jesus. And I realize, you know, my focus is so much on the Lord, I'm not really even aware of what's going on on stage. I'm not listening about who sings well or who plays well. They just draw me into Jesus, and I'm connecting with you. That's what we do. We all sing to Jesus. And um, I'm so grateful because I love our worship team. The thing I love about them the most with their musical skills and with their beautiful voices is, honestly, I say this, their beautiful hearts. <laughs> their beautiful hearts because they, they worship God from the heart and they lead us and show us what it means to worship from the heart. That's part of the work of a priest. That's what priests do. And when you become a priest, servant priest of Jesus, your life is changed and you become a worshiper. And even if you can't sing like me, you, you declare um, both Sunday mornings with God's family and throughout the week, you just have a heart that bubbles over singing praises to him. That's one offering. That's part of the priestly service. There's another offering that the uh, scriptures speak about, and that's financial gifts. And I know you know this, but look at what the scriptures say. That just as every Israelite, uh, the scriptures make it very clear, you never come into God's presence with empty hands. You always give back to him. And their economy was animals, so they brought animals and grain. But you always brought a gift to God because everything came from him, and he had blessed you, and you want to give back to him something that what he's given. You honor him with your, your income. Well, we don't give animals, but guess what? We still give money to God out of same principle. Offerings of finances to God out of gratitude, out of recognizing everything comes from him, everything belongs to him desiring him to use that for his kingdom, for his glory. So Paul says this, on the first day of every week, that's a Sunday, every first day of every week, each one of you should set aside what? A sum of money. What? You give offerings of money to God? Yes, that's what we do. That's what priests do. In keeping with your income. So, uh, you may not have brought a bull, you may not have brought a sheep or a bird or, or uh, some other animal as a sacrifice, but we all bring a love offering of finances to God. And Paul makes that very clear. On the first day of every week, I wouldn't interpret that legally, like if you don't give every Sunday. He's saying make it part of your lifestyle. <laughs> make it part of your lifestyle regularly, not just once in a while when you get moved by a sermon or taught by a need or some need and then you just sort of bubble over to one act of generosity. No, make it a lifestyle every week, proportionate to your income. This is a lifestyle serving as a priest. And I know people whose income might be quarterly and they choose to give quarterly. I think the point is you make it a part of your lifestyle of, of who you are. That's what priests do. He says, each one of you, oh, I thought I was the exception. I thought I don't have to give to God because, well, my kids are in Christian school. No, <laughs> my, we, Sorry, but I've been there, uh, kids in Christian school. No, I don't need to give to the Lord because I serve him with my time. Oh, okay, but um, aren't you supposed to love God with all your being? Uh, you know, we, none of us are exceptions. This is a full participation. Every one of us are to give what we can. You say, but I don't have much money. But that's what he says, in keeping with your income. In keeping with, he never asks you to give something you don't have. And if your income is small, you can still give in a way that honors and blesses God. Remember Jesus and the woman at the temple, the, the widow at the temple? She gives two coins. She gives two coins, and Jesus says, Hey, disciples, get over here. Take a look at this. Here's a woman with a heart of faith. But he cares about her. He doesn't need your money. 
He doesn't need my money. He owns the universe. He cares about our hearts. He cares about generosity. And, and if you have a little and, and you give some of that little with generosity, you bless him. That's what he's looking for. And um, if you doubt that, look at the next verse. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. He's looking at your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever they have. And... Um, and that's his heart, but that's part of what priests do. Their lives are changed. They give to the Lord what they can with generosity, sometimes with sacrifice, with a heart of gratitude and love. That's part of serving as a priest. And I've got to share with you one example. It happened a few years ago, but I'll never forget it. Um, uh, came to church, and I saw an 18-year-old girl. Her name was Michelle. And um, she literally almost danced, she skipped to the back of the sanctuary where there was an offering box. She skipped to the, you know, when I see my granddaughter, six years old, she never runs without skipping. There's just joy in kids. This is an 18-year-old girl, an 18-year-old girl who's skipping to the back of the sanctuary towards the offering basket, and I see her put something, and I'm wondering, what's going on with Michelle? Her dad happened to be there. I said, what's going on with Michelle? She said, well, Michelle was a senior in high school, She'd gotten a part-time job. She'd just gotten her first paycheck in life. <laughs> her first paycheck in life. And she was joyful. She was delighted. She was cheerful to put some of that in the offering box to Jesus. And I thought, that's amazing. Talk about a cheerful giver. And then I thought, where'd she learn that, Dad? <laughs> where'd she learn that? And um, you know what? God loves cheerful givers. Doesn't matter the amount. He's looking at our hearts. So what do priests do? What does priestly service looks like? It's offering, offering, singing offerings to God, offering financial offerings to God from a grateful, cheerful heart. That's part of the serving as a priest. But there's a second thing. Not only do we offer gifts to the Lord Jesus, but we tell others about the Lord Jesus. We tell others about the Lord Jesus. Israel was called to be a nation of priests. They had a priestly order, Aaron and his sons, but the whole nation were considered priests. And he gave them the covenant, and he revealed his righteous character, and he said, you're to represent me to the nations. That was part of Israel's calling. You're to tell other people about Yahweh. You're to bring his light to a sin-cursed, death-filled planet, the light of the living God. And so Israel was called to be a nation of priests, and, and we too carry that we're called to represent the living king of the universe to our world. Jesus put it this way, and you know this verse, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You will be my witnesses. You will be my representatives. You will tell the world about me. In Jerusalem, where he rose from the dead, all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, reaching other ethnic groups in Samaria for sure, and catch this, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. You know the farthest point from uh, Jerusalem is? Hawaii. I don't think you can get any farther away from Jerusalem than, than Hawaii. If you've flown there, you realize you've got to fly halfway around the planet. We're in the other ends of the earth, and we're still telling people about Jesus, and we're supporting missionaries who are going all over the world telling about Jesus. But you and I also need to tell people about Jesus. And can I just encourage you? Because I know there are lots of obstacles for all of us to overcome in doing that. Somebody told you about Jesus, and aren't you grateful? It might have been a parent told you about Jesus. It might have been a relative. It might have been a friend. It might have been a colleague at work. 
Might have been an absolute stranger because God works in amazing ways. But somebody told you about Jesus and it changed your life. And Jesus is saying this is part of our service as priests is to represent him, to tell others about him. Got to tell you one story, and you know many as well, but a, but a, a gentleman, well, it started with his wife. Her, her name was Linda. And a friend invited Linda to a women's seminar, a women's seminar. And it was an interesting topic, so Linda went, and guess what? She heard about Jesus at this women's seminar, and it made sense to her, and she, she made a decision to put her faith in Jesus. She went home and told her husband, Greg, and Greg thought she was nuts. But he thought, well, you know, if, if she sees something in this, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And he didn't come to church immediately, but after time, he kind of checked it out because Linda was checking it out. And guess what? He found out this thing about Jesus is real. And he became a follower of Christ. And then he told his friend Rick, who uh, he knew at work, and, and Rick told his wife, and his wife told her cousin. And before you knew it, this whole section of the church was people who were following Jesus because it just started with one invitation to Linda. And and telling people about Jesus. And that, you know what? We're all called to be a part of that and should pray for opportunities, friends, family members, uh, colleagues, uh, someone we can just share the good news of Jesus. Uh, I love the, uh, the analogy. What does it mean to share the, the good news of Jesus? It's just sharing with hungry people where you found bread, <laughs> where you found bread. And um, none of us do it perfectly and none of us have all the answers, but God works uh, through uh, normal, regular people like us too. But that's part of our priestly service to Jesus. Let me just stop for a second and make sure you're with me. Can you say these words? I'm a servant priest. Say it one more time. I'm a servant priest of King Jesus. You're getting it. And that means for all of us, we offer gifts to the Lord. We tell others about the Lord. Here's a third one. We pray to the Lord. And this one's obvious. Priests in Israel's... Uh, covenant would offer prayers on behalf of the people to God and um, that's what we're called to do we don't have a robe and we don't have an office and a title but we're certainly called to priest that's part of priestly service there's just one verse I urge you first of all that petitions prayers intercessions thanksgivings all sorts of prayers be made for all people for kings and all those in authority oh my goodness is there ever a need for prayer for our political leaders that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. This is good. This is good to God. He loves his children to serve as priests by praying. That's what priests do. They pray. Their lives are changed, and they start praying, and they pray more, and they learn more. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior because he's called us to be his servant priests. So we pray. We pray for our families. We pray for our kids. We pray for uh, people we know that need Jesus. We pray for people at work. We pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for our world. We pray that God ends this pandemic. We pray for all sorts of things that are on our hearts. And it's a joy to pray together as a church family on Sunday morning. But we pray all week because that's what servant priests do. And uh, you and I, that's our identity. So one more, well, two more. Number four, what's the fourth thing we do? Servant priests, they teach people about the Lord Jesus. You may or may not identify with that, but that's part of what Israel's priests do. They would bring their offerings and they would offer them, and, and the priests would teach the people the Torah, the law, God's ways. They had a teaching role in the community. You say, well, that's the pastor-teacher's job. Yes, we're blessed to um, um, 
God gives uh, teaching gifts to pastors, to others in the body. It's only, not only pastors get teaching gifts, and it operates in small groups and in children's church and, and uh, in, in many different ways. But I want you to realize, if you haven't before, that God calls you to teach. See, I don't have a teaching gift, but you, there are powerful ways in you, which you can teach. Teach others in our church family. Teach your own family. Teach people at work without giving a lesson plan, okay? One of the reasons I love connect groups, small groups, is I've learned so much. People have taught me, you say, but Rick, you went to a seminary and you get to teach about I'm blessed by that, but I've learned so much and I'm learning so much just by being with a small group of people and seeing how they take God's truth and how they apply it in their lives. That's really what a connect group does. And we learn from each other and we build each other up. And, and every one of us, let me give you the verse, don't just take it from my word, but the New Testament says all of us believers have a teaching ministry. Look at this verse in Colossians 3. Let the teaching of Christ and his words keep on living in you. That's so cool. You learn it and you live it. You learn it and you live it, but then you spill it over to other people too. These make your lives rich and full of wisdom. But then he says this. Don't miss this. Keep on teaching and helping each other. Teach each other. Teach each other. You're all involved in this. You all have a teaching ministry to one to another. So I love connect groups, but if you're a parent, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You probably have. Whether you have a teaching gift or not, whether you know how to put a lesson plan together or not, you have a powerful teaching gift. One of the most powerful teachers in my life, I'm, one of God's greatest blessings, was my dad. He wasn't a teacher. But let me tell you one or two of the lessons I learned from my dad. Oh. I learned about um, the value of prayer. And here's how it happened. I, I have a lifelong memory. I think I was 12 years old. Just a, an early, wasn't even a teenager. And um, it was a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. And my mom said, Rick, what, would you run down the hall and get my purse out of the bedroom? She wanted something out of the purse. She asked me to run down the hall and get her purse out of the bedroom. So I ran down the hall. The door was closed to the bedroom. I opened the door to go get her purse from the bed, and guess what I saw? 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, my dad on his knees at the bed praying. And as a young boy, I thought, that's weird. You pray at church, you pray at the meal table, but you pray at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning? I mean, who does that? That left a lasting impression on my young life. The value of prayer. My dad was spending the morning in prayer, in privacy, in his bedroom. He was a man of prayer. He didn't give me a three-point outline from the Lord's Prayer. He could have, and that wouldn't have been a bad thing. He just showed me a heart of prayer. He had a powerful lesson on my life. Let me tell you another one. This was my dad. He didn't give me a lesson on this. It was his habit. It was his habit. We, you, many of you know we grew up in, in Calgary, Alberta. Cold, long winters, snow on the ground. When dad would come home, at the end of a work day, he'd open the door. First thing he'd do, stomp his feet, because usually there was snow on his feet in the middle of the winter. But everyone had a, an overcoat. You have to take it by faith in Hawaii. No one here wears overcoats. You don't need them. But if you're in winter in Calgary, you're wearing an overcoat. But guess what he'd do? He'd stomp his feet. He would walk and find my mother. She might have been in the kitchen getting dinner ready. She might have been in the living room doing something. She might have been doing in the bedroom. Wherever she was, he would walk into the house, find my mother, and kiss her on the lips. First thing he did. And then he'd walk back to the closet and take his jacket off. Before he took his jacket off, he'd find my mom and he'd give her a kiss on the lips. I thought, wow, I want a marriage like that. 
I want affection. I want tenderness. I want care. I want to have a beautiful marriage. He didn't give me a three-point outline on marriage. He just showed me a beautiful one. That's a, is there anything more? Parents, we have powerful opportunities to shape and teach our kids. And it's just learning and, and living the truth, okay? One final one from my dad, because um, um, he was one of the most powerful teachers in my life. He taught me of the value of a church family. He taught me the value of a church family. He didn't give me a lesson. He didn't give me a lecture. He just, and, and there were six kids in our family, and I was, and when I was a teenager, I whined and complained. Quite frankly, the church I, we were attending, it was kind of boring. It wasn't like New Hope Kailua. <laughs> New Hope Kailua is not boring, but I went to kind of a boring church, and so, you know, there were times when I whined as a teenager. I said, Dad, do we have to go to church? You know, I want to be with my friends. I want to be out playing baseball. I want to go do this. I want to do that. Do we have to go to church? And I whined and I whined. My dad never lectured me, and I don't ever recall him getting angry with me. He just said to his kids, I wasn't the only whiner in the group. He'd say, you know what? This is our church family. And this is what we do as a family. We go and we worship and serve with our church family. That's what we do. That's who we are. And he didn't say we're servant priests of Jesus, but he taught me the value of a church family. And, and to, by God's grace, and there's no magic formula, every one of the six children in our family ended up following Jesus and, and being involved in, in serving God in one way or the other. We just had a dad who taught us a powerful lesson by his life. All of us are teachers. Parents are teachers. If you're a business person, you're a teacher, whether you know it or not. In the marketplace, you're teaching people all the time. I'll tell you, one guy had a profound lesson, and he never gave me a, a lesson or a three-point outline. His name was Frank. He was a businessman in our church, and when I was a young adult at college, uh, he hired me for a part-time job, well, for a summer job before I went back to college. Frank was an entrepreneur. He had all these little businesses. And um, he hired me for the landscaping business, but he also had a business where they, they, he uh, had a sandblaster, and he would um, sandblast in his shop uh, tombstones. You know, people would want to put a tombstone on, on when their loved one passed, and he would sell marble stones, all sorts of different kind of stones. That was one of his businesses. And then he would sandblast their names and all that kind of thing. That was part of his business. I walked into the shop one day, and there was this woman who was just walking up one side of Frank and down the other. I mean, just tearing him up. Well, what had happened? It wasn't Frank's fault, but one of the employees had accidentally, it was a total accident, had been lifting a tombstone onto the place where, you know, the loved one was buried, and with an accident with a backhoe, had lurched, and that tombstone had knocked over the next tombstone to it and broken it. And this lady, it was her husband whose tombstone was broken, and she had a reason to be upset. She had a reason to be upset. I mean, her husband's tombstone was desecrated. So this lady came and comes into the shop, and she is just tearing into Frank, cussing him out. And it wasn't Frank's fault, but it was an accident. But she's just going up one side, and I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, Frank, tell her to shut up. <laughs> Frank, that's not fair. That's not right. I'm, I'm, I'm. And Frank is just gracious and patient and offering to replenish the thing and being kind to her. And I'm thinking, wow, how do you treat people who abuse you? How did Jesus treat people who abuse you? He just showed me graciousness, patience, generosity, care, love.
he, he taught me a powerful lesson. Have I ever lived up to that? I'm not, I don't think so, but he showed me what it looks like. He taught me a lesson. And one other quick lesson I learned from Frank, because on that summer job, I think I've told you this story before, but on that summer job, um, it was a family business. Frank's wife, Joyce, was the office manager. And every two weeks, uh, we'd get paid, and they'd put, give us our paychecks at the office. That was long before <laughs> deposits and that kind of stuff. So uh, Joyce told me on the way out, she said one day, hey, I, I'm called out of the office, but I left your paycheck on my desk. You can go and pick it up on your desk. So I said, great. At the end of the day, I went in to pick up my paycheck off her desk. But guess what? Her desk was covered with checks. <laughs> it wasn't just my paycheck. There were all these other paychecks. And being the Snoopy guy that I was, I started checking out other people's paychecks. I was blown out of the water because I saw paychecks to our church. I saw paychecks, pay paychecks to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Campus Crusade, missions organizations. This guy was funding the kingdom of God with his businesses. And there were some pretty hefty checks going out. And I thought, this guy lives for God's kingdom. He's not living to build up barns on earth, he's investing in eternity. I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have snooped into his checks. I'm not rationalizing that. But I'm just saying, Frank never taught me about how to invest your life, but I saw it. It was a powerful lesson. And whatever you do at work, employee, employer, you have a teaching power over people's lives by the way you live. It's that simple. And when we become servant priests of Jesus, it changes our lives. And we serve him by telling other people, by offering gifts to God, by praying to the Lord Jesus, and yes, by teaching people in whatever capacity he gives us. One final thing. We bless people in the name of the Lord Jesus. We bless people in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know that Old Testament uh, prayer, and it's got applications for us because that's part of what the priests did in Israel, was they blessed people. And they would... Um, uh, the, the prayer given them in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and, and grant you shalom. The Lord be gracious to you. And they would declare blessing, God's blessing over people's lives. And we have that opportunity too. That's what priests do. They speak God's blessings into people's lives. Speak God's blessing over people's lives. And so there's just one example of the verse there, and we could find uh, more in the scriptures, but look at what happens in Acts. They were sent off by the believers, what? With the blessing of shalom, with the blessing of peace. God's blessing on you. We're going to pray for you, we're going to support you, we're going to part you, but we're going to speak God's blessing over your lives. These are all very practical ways in which you are a servant priest of God. So forget the headwear, forget the robes, but let, and forget the title. Um, but let's hold on to and recognize that when we know our identity, that we know that we are servant priests of the glorified King Jesus, it will change us, it will change our lives, and we will serve him in all of these ways. So let's stand together and pray and uh, continue to live out this priestly service that Jesus has given us. Father, thank you. For this wonderful revelation, first of Jesus, our heavenly, worthy Lamb, the one who has loved us and given us his life, given his life so that we can belong to you. Thank you, Lord, that we are loved sons and daughters, that we will reign with you, that you've made us a royal part of your family. But thank you that you've also called us to serve you in all of these different ways. Thank you that you have changed our lives, we're different people, and you are changing our lives. 
And as we, what we, as we look at what it means to serve as a servant priest, Jesus, would it would bring pleasure to your heart, would you see that this is good, that my family at New Hopakailu are encouraging each other and building each other and in serving in a way that is worthy of the Lamb. We love you. We continue to serve you this week in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Have a blessed day. We'll see you again next week.